0: Open your Bible this morning, find the book of Nehemiah in the Old Testament and go to the very end of it, Nehemiah chapter 13. We are going to continue our uh, our wrapping up of this book, if that makes sense, continue our wrapping up of Nehemiah. We are, I'm guessing, uh, probably about after today, two messages away from completing this book. We have... Uh, a section of text today. We'll have one more section next week, and then we'll probably take a week just to kind of tie everything together without reading any specific uh, text. So today we're reading Nehemiah chapter 13 verses 15 through 22. I pointed this out last week, and I'll just remind you again this week of, of the, the structure of this. This is all part of Nehemiah's conclusion. He's looking back at uh, what he has done and what he's accomplished and what God has done there among their midst. And he's, he's tying those things together and each of the, uh, the we, I'm, I'm choosing to make three out of them, but each, each time he's bringing to mind some specific thing that to him is a, a major highlight or a major thing that he has brought about or help bring about in Jerusalem with these exiles. Uh, each time he does that, he ends that section with these words Remember me, or some form of these words Remember me, oh my God. Uh, and so uh, that's how I chose to break them apart. We're gonna, we read the first one last week, which really had a lot to do with uh, when he discovered that in his absence, they began to sort of drift back away from, uh, from the temple being kept uh, in its purity as it's supposed to be, but also that the temple services, the offerings and those things, were, 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 they, they weren't continuing to do them as they had uh, been instructed to do so. And when he came back, he said, uh, this, this shouldn't be like this. He contended with the leaders. and He said, we're going to change this again. We're going to go back to how it's supposed to be. We're going to bring the Levites back in and we're going to take uh, this uh, Ammonite who had his stuff in there. We're going to get rid of him because that's not how it's supposed to be. He's going to continue a similar theme of being very, very focused and intentional on the public worship, the corporate worship of, uh, of the people of Israel. Nehemiah chapter 13 verse 15. Follow along as I read for you. In those days I saw in Judah people treading wine presses on the Sabbath and bringing in heaps of grain and loading them on donkeys and also wine, grapes, figs, and all kinds of loads which they brought into Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. And I warned them on the day when they sold food. Tyrian's also who lived in the city, brought in fish and all kinds of goods and sold them on the Sabbath to the people of Judah in Jerusalem itself. Then I confronted the nobles of Judah and said to them, what is this evil thing that you are doing profaning the Sabbath day? Did not your fathers act in this way and did not our God bring all this disaster on us and on this city? Now you are bringing more wrath on Israel by profaning the Sabbath. If you do so again, I will lay hands on you. From that time on, they did not come on the Sabbath. Then I commanded the Levites that they should purify themselves and come and guard the gates to keep the Sabbath day holy. Remember this also in my favor, O my God, and spare me according to the greatness of your steadfast love." As every week, Father, it's your text that we are reading, it's your word, and we want to be taught by you, which means we want to ask of you very specifically that you would teach us, that you would use the text this morning to illuminate and open our minds to what happened back then, but also to what you have to say to us right here today. Thank you that your word is living and active and has its effect in our lives. May your Holy Spirit teach us this morning in Jesus' name, amen while well, last week's text, the focus was on the temple and the work that was supposed to be happening in the temple and what was allowed in or not in the temple, this week his focus is broadened out a bit. And he says, at, and I think we should see them connected by the way. While the temple service began to wane, began to uh, not be done like it should, then it began to affect the entirety of the group of the people following the Lord Jesus Christ or following God. And they were beginning to no longer honor the Sabbath day. So what he says, this very first, very first thing he brings to attention. He says, this is something else that I've discovered, that in those days, like during that time that I was gone, in those days, that they began to uh, do some things on the Sabbath, which they ought not to do. And he lists them out here. He says, they were treading wine presses. They were bringing in heaps of grain. They were loading them. uh, they They were doing all kinds of trade. They were selling things. And it wasn't just them. It was the foreigners that were coming in. And all of this was things that they were not supposed to be doing. I'll just establish that fact right up front this morning. If you would go back in your Bibles to the book of Exodus, we call it the Ten Commandments, but it's where God is giving uh, giving His instructions as He's brought the people of Israel out of Egypt, out of slavery. He's establishing their identity as His people, and He's giving them instructions for what they should do as His people and he says this in the midst of that uh, now he's been giving some instructions already but Exodus chapter 20 verse 8 he says this remember the sabbath day to keep it holy six days you shall labor and do all your work but the seventh day is a sabbath to the lord your god is a rest to the lord your god on it you shall not do any work you or your son or your daughter your male servant your female servant or your livestock Or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy is where he began that. Now, there probably is a great subject here that we unfortunately will not be able to cover in its entirety on a Sunday morning. On what all is entailed in the Sabbath. I I find... I find in our lives as believers, New Testament believers, that sometimes uh, we really don't spend a whole lot of time thinking about what's, what the Sabbath is all about or what, what is meant by the Sabbath. We sort of casually, uh, we say, yeah, it's our Sunday, and we kind of know, most of us kind of know growing up from tradition that we shouldn't work on Sundays, so we don't, or we sort of pick and choose what we think is work and what we can or can't do, um, and then we sometimes get in discussions about that, but by and large, we just don't think a whole lot about the Sabbath. For example, in the text I just read, it's not up here, so we'll see if you were paying attention or if you can pull it back out or look at your Bible if you have it open. But in, when God gives the command for the Sabbath, he actually gives his rationale or he says the reason why he wants us to honor Sabbath. And he points to something uh, way that happened way before that. Does anybody know what it was? He points to creation. Now, In the midst of our discussions or thoughts about what the Sabbath is about or may not be about or what we can do or can't do on a Sunday for us, because the Sabbath for them is a Saturday. I hope you understand that. But for us, we uh, treat it as the Lord's Day on Sunday, which we believe the New Testament Christians began to do. But God said that he created things in six days, the heavens and the earth and everything that's in them, and then he rested. Why did God rest? You ever ask yourself that? Why did God rest? Do you think he was tired? Do you think he was worn out? Do you think he was like, I just can't do this anymore, so I have to, I have to rest? He said everything was good? You know, that's a great phrase to bring out. He saw everything was good and he was enjoying it, I think was what Carol was saying. But that's a great phrase to bring out because I think we often sort of limit that phrase, just to, just to sort of speak about that for a little bit. We limit that phrase that God said it was good, and we, we sort of take it as a face level, that word good, which we, of course, mean, like, it's good. Like, I did a good job. That, that, that's, that's, how, that's how I want it to be. I think we should include in our definition of it was good is that God saw that he was completing it. He was finishing it. Which is why the last part of that says he saw it was very good. I got to the end of it. It's finished. Now, I'm going to kind of put you on hold of some of this stuff because we're going to speak about it maybe more towards the end of the sermon again. But I want it to be in our heads because this is a big deal. We're going to see today just how big a deal it was. But this is a big deal. All throughout the Bible, all throughout the Old Testament certainly, keeping the Sabbath is a big deal. And I'll just be blunt. I think many times... Uh, We today are not as concerned about it as what the theme that runs through scripture. It's, for us, it's probably not very high on our list of things in terms of sort of basic, fundamental, like really important things we should know or be concerned about. And maybe I'll even today shift about what that discussion is about. I don't know. And I'm certainly open to more conversation about it because I don't claim to have a lock on it myself. But I want to establish at the beginning that God had very clearly said to them that they should honor the Sabbath with some specific things about what they should or should not do. Also, I want to point out to you In reading Nehemiah and him looking back at his absence when he went back to the king and he came back and discovered that people were no longer uh, honoring the Sabbath like he thought they should. I also want to point out that we're not just looking back at the book of Exodus and seeing that God gave a mandate a long time before this day happened. I want to remind you that we just came through chapter 10, not too long ago of the book of Nehemiah, and if you remember chapter 10, there was this monumental moment where they read the Bible, and they read that they weren't doing what they should have been doing, and they fasted, and they prayed, and they they decided, we're going to make a covenant with God that we're going to change our behaviors, and if you would read back through chapter 10, you would see that at one point during that covenant, what they wrote out and signed their names to, they said this. If the peoples of the land bring in their goods or any grain on the Sabbath day to sell, we will not buy from them on the Sabbath or on a holy day at all. Part of their covenant they had just made was that they were going to honor the Sabbath. You can imagine... By the way, that's why he picked out the last one too because they made part of that, the covenant too. But you can imagine that when Nehemiah comes back from the king and discovers after a not very long time away that they've already fallen back and are already not holding up their end of the covenant, he's not really happy about that, is he? It's why it says that he warned them. It's a strong word. He he contends with them. Uh, And then we read in verse 17 that he confronted them. He went to the nobles. By the way, each of these cases we're going to come to, we're going to see that same phrase. I confronted, I confronted the leaders. I said, this is not how it should be. Now, in this case, the question comes out, what is this evil thing that you're doing? He called it evil. What is this evil thing that you're doing? You are profaning the Sabbath day. You are are bringing uh, dirt onto the day of cleanness, if I can use a, a different phrase to try to capture what he's trying to say. You are profaning, you are bringing something unholy Onto a holy day, and it's evil. You should not be doing this. And then he says something interesting. He says, Didn't our fathers act this way? This is in verse uh, 18. And didn't God bring all this disaster on us? In other words, he's saying, Isn't this How our fathers acted. And isn't this why we're in the situation we're in? Because of your mistreatment of the Sabbath? And you might say that's a really strong statement. Like blaming the entirety of the exile on the Sabbath and they're profaning the Sabbath day. And uh, certainly there's more things at play there. But I want to point out to you this morning that uh, that actually is mentioned very specifically throughout the prophets that their reason for the exile is because they are not honoring the Sabbath. I'm telling you, I'll just say it again. I already said it once this morning and you'll probably hear it a few more times from me. This is a big deal to God. So if it's not a big deal to us, then I think we're missing something. For example, if we were to read in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah of course wrote before the exile ever happened, and he writes these words, and I, I, I want to read these this morning because they're a wonderful parallel to uh, the book of Nehemiah. This is written before Nehemiah, the, this stuff takes place, even though it's later in your Bible. It's written before the events of Nehemiah take place. If you were to read, Isaiah chapter 58, which I'm not going to read the entire chapter this morning because we don't have time to do so. But he begins by talking about uh, what kind of fast the people should be doing, and what kind of justice they should have, and what kind of environment they should be living in. And he says that if you were to truly fast, which would be to break the bonds of justice, to not be unkind or unjust, to not take advantage of the poor, and to and to not, with the leaders to not lord it over those underneath them, and to uh, to uh, he said if you do those things, then he said this is verse 8. I'm going to just pick out a few phrases. Then 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 light shall break forth from you like the dawn, and healing shall come. And he goes on to say that then you'll take away that yoke of oppression from your midst, and and you're going to pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire. Then light will arise in darkness, and your gloom will be as noonday. God is going to guide you. And then he says this, and this is why I wanted to read this, because it's very pertinent, very applicable, very relevant to the book of Nehemiah. Verse 12, and your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt, and you shall raise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. Now, now, just stop for a minute, because I'm going to get to the next verse here, because that's what I wanted to read. But just stop for a minute, because we just read through the book of Nehemiah. We studied it on a Sunday morning. It took us, I don't know how long. It took us a little while to get through it. And the entire focus, or one of the entire focuses of, of this book is the fact that they were restoring the wall of, of, of around Jerusalem, right? They were building up those foundations. They were repairing the gates. They were restoring. And they were literally doing what Isaiah talked about before it ever happened. He said, but this is all based upon whether the things will change on the inside, not the outside. And if you read the very next verse, verse 13, if you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, and the holy day of the Lord honorable, if you honor it, not going your own ways, or seeking your own pleasure, or talking idly, then you shall take delight in the Lord, and I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. There we see that God connected together their honoring of the Sabbath, and whether they will be called the repairs of the breach. The restorers of the foundation. Now, if if you want to hear it even more clearly, if you go to the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah also prophesied before the exile, or actually while some of the exile was happening, but the the Israel had been exiled, but Judah's exile was coming. And in Jeremiah chapter 17, let me just read these words. It's a little, little longer section, but you should read it. It's worth us reading to make our point this morning. Jeremiah chapter 17, I'm going to start in verse 19 thus said the Lord to me, Jeremiah speaking first person, God said to me, go and stand in the people's gate by which the kings of Judah enter and by which they go out and in all the gates of Jerusalem and say, now I'm going to pause once again, make sure you're paying attention and, and, and tracking. Let's, 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 let's put in our minds eye what's actually happening. God said to Jeremiah, I want you to go out to a gate. What gate are we talking about? Now he specifically names the people's gate, but this is a gate where? Where's this gate at? The wall of Jerusalem, a gate in the wall of the wall of Jerusalem, where people are going in and out. Now, if you can do this, go back to the Nehemiah, what I just read. What kind of, what gates is Nehemiah worried about that people are going in and out on the Sabbath? Which gates? The very same ones, right? It's the same city, rebuilt wall, rebuilt gate. I want you to keep this in mind, because of what's gonna, what, what God is going to say. This is all before any of this happened. Jeremiah says... This is what he's supposed to say. He's supposed to go out in those same gates and stand there as people go back and forth. And says, Hear the word of the Lord, you kings of Judah and all Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem who enter by these gates. Thus says the Lord, Take care for the sake of your lives. This is strong words. Take care for the sake of your lives and do not bear a burden on the Sabbath day or bring it in by the gates of Jerusalem. And do not carry a burden out of your houses on the Sabbath or do any work, but keep the Sabbath day holy as I commanded your fathers. Yet they did not listen or incline their ear, but stiffened their neck that they might not hear and receive instruction." But if you listen to me, declares the Lord, and bring in no burden by the gates of the city on the Sabbath day, but keep the Sabbath day holy and do not work on it, then there shall enter by the gates of the city kings and princes who sit on the throne of David, riding in chariots and on horses, they and their officials, the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And this city shall be inhabited forever, and people shall come from the cities of Judah and the places around Jerusalem, from the land of, the ben- of Benjamin, from the Shephelah, from the hill country, and from the Negev, burnt offerings and sacrifices, grain offerings and frankincense, and bringing thank offerings to the house of the Lord. But, verse 27, but if you do not listen to me to keep the Sabbath day holy and not to bear a burden and enter by the gates of Jerusalem on the Sabbath day, then I will kindle a fire in its gates and it shall devour the palaces of Jerusalem and shall not be quenched. Now, let's do a little review, little, little, little memory test. Very first opening verses of the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah says, a man came to see him from Jerusalem, and he inquired of Jerusalem's state, and the man said what to him? Yeah, you caught the phrase, didn't you, Lynn? Everybody hear what he said? Probably you didn't all hear what he said. The man came and said, the gates are burned. The wall is destroyed. The gates are burned. We are in deep distress. Now tell me why. Why? Why were the gates burned and the wall destroyed? What did I just read to you? God just said exactly what was going to happen and why it was going to happen. That's right. If you don't keep the Sabbath day holy... Here's what's going to happen. Can you imagine the frustration of Nehemiah knowing these writings and coming back to his city and seeing his people do the same thing their forefathers had done and the result of what had come and what he had worked so hard to bring the people about to do and to see the same thing happening. And he says, people, it cannot be like this. Is this not the very reason why we're in the trouble we were in to start with? Let's not make the same mistake. I am quite certain, brothers and sisters, I am quite certain that there have been times that God has rightfully looked at me and said, Merlin, the things that you are doing are the very things that people before you suffered for. Don't do them. Don't walk back that same path. I'm quite certain it applies to you as well as it does to me. I'm quite certain that as churches, as this church, we have been guilty of that. I say that not to cast blame on us or to throw our hands up and say, that's how it is. I say that to give us an awareness of the necessity to be so committed to reading God's Word and being led by his Holy Spirit to continually allow ourselves in humility to consider the fact that we might ourselves slip back into ways which God had said you should not do and which people before us have suffered for because they did. That we would not be like those who stiffen their necks and harden their hearts. Nehemiah, of course, is a man of action, isn't he? We've learned that about Nehemiah already. He doesn't just, he doesn't sit idly by. He doesn't say, well, I guess that's what they wanna do, so I'm going he says no. He contended with the leaders, but then he did something about it, right? Did you see what happens? Verse 19, he says, we're going to change this as soon as, now you remember, this is a thick wall, right? Because they're walking on it when they do the celebration. It's a thick wall. So there's a gate inside. There's a a big opening there. And as soon as it begins to grow dark inside that gate on the day before the Sabbath, the night before Sabbath, which would be on a Friday night, as soon as it starts getting dark, he says, we're going to shut these gates and I'm going to put my own servants, my own people there to start with, and they're going to guard those gates and they're not going to open again for trade until after the Sabbath is done. Now, I, I think we should understand, by the way, it says that the gates were shut and, they, and, and it opened until after the Sabbath. It does not mean that everybody was like on lockdown for that whole Sabbath time. People could go in and out, but it specifically says that the guards were there to make sure no loads went back and forth. Closed for business is what it said. We will not dishonor God's direct command, no matter how much we want to. No matter how much it would line our pockets. No matter how much it would be a lot easier. No matter how much I have this extra time and I should be doing something valuable with it, according to our human logic, perhaps. We won't do it. Well, he says, I won't do it. And he puts his servants there. Eventually, we know that he puts the Levites there, which is who should have been. They're they're part of the Levites, they're they're called the gatekeepers. And that was part of their function was to shut those gates on the Sabbath and to make sure that no one was doing what they should have been doing. Nehemiah is still a man of action, right? Did you catch what happens? The first little bit when it happened, they shut the gates and the, and the sellers just sort of camped right outside and thought, well, you know, people can come out to us and we'll buy and sell just like we were doing. I guess we can't go in there, but we'll just fix it out. We'll just do it out here. And that didn't work, right? Because Nehemiah, who is maybe by our respects not a very good Mennonite, went outside and he said, hey, you think you're going to stay here? I don't think so. You stay here again. The phrase is, I will use my hand to move you out. That's what the Hebrew phrase is he said. I will move you with my hands. And it obviously was effective. I don't know what Nehemiah looked like, by the way. It'll be fun someday to find out. But it, it was effective, right? It says he did it once or twice. But when I did that, it says they did not come anymore on the Sabbath. They learned very quickly that this wasn't going to work. This wasn't going to happen, so they stopped doing it. It reminds me, by the way, I was reading this, and it reminded that, you know, we see Nehemiah, and I think rightfully so, but we see Nehemiah as a spiritual leader, and he's, he's restoring things in Israel, but you, you actually know that he had a political title, right? He was a governor. I was reminded as I was studying this, that just the, the, this verse popped into my head. It was from 1 Peter, so I'm to, I thought I'd share it this morning. It says, uh, actually, verse 13 says, be subject to the Lord's sake, to governors as sent by him to punish, as sent by God, to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. And Nehemiah is functioning in exactly that capacity, right? He's functioning as a political leader, actually, of the city of Jerusalem. He said, that's not what we're going to do. It's closed for business on the Sabbath, which means I'm going to make sure it's closed for business. I will punish those who think they're going to circumvent the rules, and I will make sure that, uh, that we do what we're supposed to be doing. Then, because he's concerned with what's happening with the temple and with the people of God, we read in the first part of verse 22 that he commanded the Levites, as I said said before, that they should purify themselves and come and guard those gates and keep the Sabbath day holy. I want to end with that phrase with this point because, again, the emphasis is on his overarching purpose is to keep the Sabbath holy. To recognize that if God said it was important, and if God said that we actually went, part of our reason for exile and part of the reason for the destruction of the city was because we weren't doing it, then we're gonna return to doing it again. We're not gonna say, well, I think those times have passed or we don't need to do that anymore. Well, let me come to my final point, and then I think we need to have some discussion about what all this might mean for us. I'm guessing that's a lot where your thoughts are running this morning. I will be. Uh, Maybe a little sad to disappoint you that I don't intend to give us a detailed listing what that might mean. I do intend to stir our hearts and our minds to uh, being willing to talk about it and consider it and to uh, ask the Holy Spirit what that might mean for us. Nehemiah, as as I pointed out at the end of this, he says, remember this also in my favor, oh my God, and spare me according to to the greatness of your steadfast love. Similar refrain to last week. I want you to notice there is a difference, by the way. Last week, when Nehemiah says, remember me, oh my God, he says so, and he names specifically what he wants God to remember, right? If you to go back and read in verse 14, remember me concerning this, and do not wipe out the good deeds that I have done for the house of my God and for his service. Very specific. For these things I did, God, remember me. Today, we see a bit of a progression. It's a more g- general, remember me, God, but it's also a statement that says, remember me, in my favor, and spare me according to the greatness of your steadfast love. Throwing of himself in God's mercy. Recognizing that it is God who must be merciful to him. By the way, I love the phrase there. In the ESV it says, spare me. Spare me. Now those words literally, the Hebrew words literally mean cover me. Cover over me. This is a phrase that evokes a lot of 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 pictures for us, I think it should, through the scriptures of being covered. Lots of Psalms refer to being covered by God. We read the story of Ruth, and I'm convinced one of the primary reasons we have the book of Ruth is because it's about being covered. Boaz is a type for Jesus Christ, and we need to be covered by him. That's what Ruth does. She goes to him and says, cover me. Jesus covers us. Peter said, love what? Covers a multitude of sins. By the way, the very first place we should apply Peter's statement that love covers a multitude of sins is to recognize that it is God's love that covers our multitude, right? That's the first application. There are other ones, by the way, that go this way uh, horizontally, but the first one is, is vertically. God's great love covers over my multitude of my sins, And Nehemiah is crying out, remember, Miss God, in my favor and spare me, cover over me according to the greatness of your steadfast love. The the immensity, the, the, the great magnitude of how amazing your steadfast love is. Your love that doesn't come and go. It doesn't change your mercy, your kesed, your loving kindness to me. Spare me according to that. Now, by the way, I think this kind of ending for this text is perfectly appropriate for the subject matter because Nehemiah is saying, listen carefully, Nehemiah is saying, at the end when I have done all this hard work and I've tried with everything I can God and I've done all these good things, at the end I still come to you and beg for your mercy to cover me. At the end it is still your steadfast love that will bring me to you. Do you want to know something interesting? In the end, a man of Nehemiah's stature. Would you say Nehemiah is a pretty uh, pretty stand up guy for God? Pretty committed to God's ways? Pretty bold in his living that out? Would you agree with me that Nehemiah is one of those characters we kind of put up there and say, "Man, he didn't do a whole lot wrong that we could see," right? But you know, at the end of everything, he's actually his phrase is the exact same phrase that the thief on the cross gives as he's dying. A man whom we know very little about, but by indication did not live any kind of godly life. Did you notice that? Same phrase. What did the thief on the cross say when he turned to look to Jesus? Remember me. At the end of it, brothers and sisters, no matter how much we do, no matter how much we strive, no matter how many good things we bring about, and we should work for that, by the way, but no matter how much we do, at the end, it is still us crying out to God and saying, you have to remember me or else I will be lost. Cover me with your steadfast love. And that is entirely the point of the Sabbath rest. If we were to read out of the book of Hebrews, he makes this point. There is a, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his Remember God in creation? He, he finished creation in six days and he rested and he, he sat back. I'm convinced it's not that God had to. It's that he was painting a picture for us to tell us that we can strive all week long. We can work as hard as we can. We can do everything we can. And in the end, we simply have to rest in what God has done for us. Because our works will never get us into glory with God. Never. You should do good works. You should do it with all of your strength. You should do as much good as you possibly can. It's it's an honor to God. It's what he wants us to do, but it will not ever save you and bring you into his presence. You will be left, and I will be left, every one of us will be left with only one phrase. Well, that's, that's really narrowing it down, but remember me, God, according to your great steadfast love and cover over me. And that is, I believe, the central understanding we are to have of the Sabbath, of resting one day, of recognizing that I can work as hard as I possibly can. But in the end, if I'm not resting in Him, if I'm not trusting in what God has done, it will be to no avail. Now, We can certainly have and probably should have conversations about uh, what is appropriate to do on a day of rest, on a Sunday, what we should or should not be doing because we should recognize that we're making important statements by what we're doing or not doing on a Sunday. I'm not sweeping all that away by saying that the central focus is on our rest in Jesus Christ. I won't back away from that. I think that's the biblical, that's what the Bible teaches I'm just saying the things we do or don't do on a Sunday should be reflective of the fact that we are resting in Jesus on that day. We are celebrating what he has done for us. We are recognizing that no matter how hard I'm working all week long to honor him, to do what he wants me to do, in the end, I have to step back and recognize that God said it's finished. It's good. It's done. I can't add to it. I can't take away from it. We should have those conversations, right? Because there are certain things that we should or should not be doing. I actually think, what better, I mean, I, what, was the, why was the, what was the reason that God mandated against working on the Sabbath? Even if they were resting in God, does that mean you can't do some physical work? It's, again, because of the picture that you're painting. You're saying, I'm trusting in God, both with my livelihood, like I'm not going to work, but also spiritually. What's happening out here is a reflection of what's, what, what, I, what I'm believing in here. Did you notice, by the way, in those verses in Isaiah? Now, depending on how your translation reads it, it may not have come out that way. But uh, in the ESV, it translates those words as as doing our pleasure on the Sabbath. Doing what what we want to do. So let's not make a discussion about whether doing this is work or is not work. I can do this. Because the heart behind it is far more than that. You can be violating the day of rest by pursuing your own passions and pleasures even if they're recreation or they're things that we wouldn't consider work or they're not earning money. I think it's entirely possible. I think by our statements we make, by what we're doing or not doing, and what we're choosing to do on the day of rest is really important. I mean, it was important to God through here, right? It was important enough that he said, if you don't change, I'm going to come destroy the city. So it should be important to us. I think that's why we get together and worship on that day. Why we should get together and worship on that day. Because it's the day when we are resting in Jesus that we're going to tell him that we're resting in him. We're going to do it together. We're going to we encourage each other to say, hey, strive to enter the rest that God has given to you. In those same verses... And there's same, uh, what I read from in Hebrews chapter four, you can go back and read it, you get, you get a, a fuller picture of what's happening. But he's pointing to the fact that the Israelites were ready to go in the promised land and they saw what, what work it was going to take and they said, we'll never get there. Uh, by the way, on their own, they, probably, they wouldn't have gotten, not probably, they would not have gotten there. They wouldn't have captured it. They, would, they wouldn't have gotten in. But God said, he looked at that and said, you are hardening your heart and you are not believing that I'm gonna bring you into the promised land and therefore none of you will get there. And when the writer of Hebrews writes the words he just wrote there, he says, therefore don't harden your heart as in those days. Don't be like those people who will not enter their rest because they don't believe God. That's exactly what he says. Don't be those people who will not enter God's rest because they don't believe God, they don't trust God. Which is why we rest from our works. I'm saying I will never get to the promised land by myself. But I will rest in God. And when God has said I'm going to get there, then I will, because he's made a way through Jesus Christ. There is a lot more there. There's a lot more discussion that can be had. There's a lot more discussions that you should be having individually, personally with yourself, the Holy Spirit, as families. What what is the best way for me to show that I am resting from my works And trusting in and celebrating Jesus for what he's done for me. What's the best way I can show that? You see, I'm one of those people that I think I've said these things before, but I think we spend so much time arguing about what we can get away with or what what fits or what doesn't fit, trying to get as close. And instead of saying, let's just talk, what's the best way we can, what's the best way for us as a church body to rest on Sundays and glory in the fact that God has done through Jesus exactly what he said he did? What's the best way to do that? Because that's what we should be doing. Remember this, God. Remember me, God, and cover over me according to your steadfast love, the greatness of your steadfast love. God, thank you for your word this morning. I thank you for the ongoing discussions that need to come out of your word this morning. I pray that you would give us grace to enter into those. I pray that you would help us to be humble so that we can have conversations with each other, with our families, with you, but with each other, and give grace to each other. Be willing to hear others' ideas. I find this to be one of those areas, God, where we get very defensive very quickly about what we can or can't do on a Sunday. And I believe, God, in doing so, we, we totally miss your heart. It didn't matter which side of that, that debate we're on, so to speak. We totally miss your heart. Sabbath was made for us. For our for our glory, it's for. This should be an enjoyable day for us to delight in you, to delight in what you've done through Jesus, to rest from our works, and to celebrate you. And God, we want to do that physically, but more than that, we want to do it spiritually. Give us productive, fruitful conversations as we humble ourselves before you, before your Word, before your Holy Spirit. Lord, maybe there's maybe there's not things that should be changed. My sense, my sense is that even for us who say we're doing the right things, there's an opportunity here for us to, to allow you to speak to us about whether we're doing them for the right reasons, whether we're truly resting, whether it's about filling, satisfying a bunch of rules that we think can or can't be done on a Sunday. I'm not asking God to give us the realization those rules are done away with because I don't think they are. I'm asking God for you to give us the true Sabbath rest, the true rest in Jesus Christ. I thank you, Father. I give you glory and honor. I give you praise in Jesus' name, amen.